Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. He says, I want to speak to the man of the house. <laughs> well, man. I want to speak to the resident. Well, I'm residing there. Okay. That's one response, right? And then the other response, you go, I want to speak to Thomas Leslie Cantor, born October 16, 1950, son of Dr. Edward Bernard Cantor and Bernice Goodman, married to Cheryl Mumaw on January 17, 1970, has three sons. Now, which one am I going to respond to? <laughs> I say, oh, he knows me. See, that's what happened to the blind man. The blind man in Luke 18, 35-42, where it says, It came to pass that as he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went before rebuked him, that he should hold his peace. But he cried out so much the more. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought, for, brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight, thy faith. What you believe has made you whole. Here's an individual. He's identified as being an individual by the term a certain blind man. And he's sitting by the side of the road. He's begging. He hears this great commotion. He's asked, what's going on? And they tell him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And so the blind man cries out something remarkable. I mean, he was told that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And it wouldn't have been remarkable if the blind man had said, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. But that this blind man cries out something remarkable. And when he cries out, he doesn't cry out, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. He says, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And then the people rebuke him. He says, no, stop that. And so he cries out all the more. And this time he doesn't even say Jesus. He says, son of David, have mercy on me. See, what happened? What happened there was just like the Lord asked the question, whom do men say that I am? And on that day, that men said, whom do, the answer to the question, whom do men say that I am, was just Jesus of Nazareth. That's what men say you are. You're just Jesus of Nazareth. That's what they told the blind man. But then, it was like the Lord turned to the disciples and said, well, who do you say that I am? And now it's just like the Lord turned to the blind man and said, well, who do you say that I am? And the blind man, he says, I don't say that you're just Jesus of Nazareth. Quite different from popular opinion as to who you are. I say you're the son of David. You're the Messiah. And then the Lord asked him, well, let me just probe this out a little bit more as to who you say that I am or who my name is. And he said, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? So that's another word way there that the Lord is saying, what do you believe I can do to you? Or for you? What do you believe I can do for you? And the man says, Lord. He calls him God. And he asked for his sight as he believed that the Creator could create sight for him. If the Creator created original sight, the Creator could create sight in him. See, that's the same as Peter's great confession Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thou art the Christ, the living God, the Son. 
And the blind man knew how to pinpoint and be specific as to calling on the name of the Lord. And he was saying, I'm not just calling on the resident of the house here or the man of the house. There's a blind man surrounded by people who could see physically. All those people, they could see physically. But he's the one who was blind. And because the blind man called on the name of the Lord Jesus as the Messiah and God, I mean, there was the blind man, and he was the only one who could see. <laughs> you ever think of that? <laughs> He's the only one in the crowd who could see that he was blind. He could see. He was the only one in the crowd who could see that this was Jesus, the Messiah, and God. Everyone around who was blind to that. What an irony. And so, how can we put this to use in our lives? We can put this to use in our lives if we mark out something that God has done for you, for me specifically. Like, I can say, God healed me from cancer four years ago. Jean can say, God kept her from cancer last week or two weeks ago, whatever it was, you know. That's something specific. I remember when I last taught this in 1982, was that we as a chapel were praying for visas for the Miltons to go to Indonesia. And the visas came. That was specific. And I also remember at that time, there was a lady in here, Marcia Heller, she came this close to being killed by a big semi in a car. So that was something specific. Oh God, that healed me from cancer. Oh God, that kept me from cancer. Oh God, that gave me the visas. Oh God, that saved me from being wiped out by that semi. See, that's specifically calling on the name of the Lord. And that's important because Satan's goal is to confuse us as to who God is. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to confuse us. You know, that we have examples of this in the Scripture. Of course, the most salient one though, is the, in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1-5, through 5, where it says, "...the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. He said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of every tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God said, Don't eat it. Don't touch it either, lest you die." And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. See, the passage starts out by describing Satan, by describing the serpent that Satan was using as the most subtle of all the beasts. That Hebrew word that's translated subtle is the word arum. It's not an evil word. It doesn't have an evil meaning at all. It just means looking beyond the immediate to the ultimate goal. See, that's what it means. Arum means looking beyond the immediate to the ultimate. Because it says in Proverbs 14, 15, where that word is used, the simple believeth every word, but the prudent, the arum man, he looks well to his going. The man who is arum, who is subtle, he looks well to his going. He sees from the immediate to the ultimate. In Proverbs 22, 3, a prudent man, an arum man, foreseeth the evil, and he hides himself. Simple, they pass on, they're punished. See, a prudent or a room man, that's the whole meaning. That's the key right there, that word foresee. That's where you get the meaning of the word arum. The arum man foresees the trouble down the road. He goes and runs away. He hides. I'm not going there. So when it says that the serpent was subtle, it just means that he looked from the immediate to the ultimate. He had an ultimate goal. And he was pushing Eve to not understand who God was. He was pushing Eve to not know who God's name was. 
So he moves Eve tactfully, skillfully, carefully from one misunderstanding to another misunderstanding. I don't know where she got the idea you couldn't touch it, but that was good for him because then he could move her on to the next misunderstanding until he finally got that she didn't know who God really was. And that's what he wanted. He wanted her to believe God's a liar. Well, God says this, but no, you're not going to die. So he's moved her to the point of saying God's a liar. That's why our position here at the chapel says that when it says God is not willing that any should perish and that all should be saved and that anyone who decides to believe can be saved, that it means that and that God means that. And he's not lying. And he has not made in advance the ultimate decision as to who will believe and who will not believe. God says whosoever will and God does not decide whosoever will. Now, by the time the serpent is finished with Eve, I mean, Eve, what kind of name would Eve have called on if she was calling on the name of the Lord? The God who said that if I happen to stumble and touch the fruit, I will die. I'm calling on you. The God who is keeping me back from knowledge, I'm calling on you. The God whose name is keeping my eyes closed and holding me down. The God whose name is liar, who said that I would die, but I'm not really going to die. See, that's why it's so important, this who the name of the Lord is. And so the other example is where Satan was leading to a misunderstanding of who God was, was in Exodus, the great time when Moses and Aaron stand before King Pharaoh in Exodus 7, 10 through 12. And it says, and Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and sorcerers, the Egyptian magicians, And they also did in like manner with their enchantment. They cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. And then it says, but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. (laughs) That's a very confusing situation there. I mean, Moses and Aaron are the servants of God, and Aaron throws down his rod, it becomes a snake. That was impressive. And then the magicians, they're the servants of Satan, and they throw down their rods, and they became snakes. And that's impressive too. So to call on the name of God, as I'm calling on the name of the God who turned this rod into a snake, that's not specific enough. You have to call on the name of the God who caused his snake to eat up the other snakes, (laughs) or his rod to eat up the other rods. That's specific. It's very important to know exactly who God is. And that's why it's important when Isaac says he called on the name of the Lord. He's being specific about God. Because when we know who God is, that's our strength. In Daniel 11.32, the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. See, now Isaac, he's got another trial that he's got to face. In verse 26, Abimelech shows up. And he's got with him his friend Ahuzah and his counselor, his advisor, and Phicol, the chief captain of his army. So here comes these three men. And Isaac, when he thinks to himself, well, here comes trouble. I mean, what can he think? I mean, here comes the leader of the people who have been responsible for all my troubles. All my problems are because of this people, and here come the leaders. And so Isaac, when he addresses them in verse 27, he's very forthright with them. He challenges them. Why did you come to me? And he tells them, you know, he says, uh, he says, you hate me, and you sent me away. It's a nice greeting. <laughs> Where can this relationship go from here except up? <laughs> hmm. Now, it turns out that these men have seen something very, very definite. What it is, we're not told. But 
They say what they have come to realize and see in verse 28. They said, we saw certainly, or in seeing we saw, that the Lord was with thee. And so they said that they saw certainly that God was with Isaac. What made the difference for these men? We don't know. We don't know what they saw that caused them to see that the Lord was with them. But it was who they saw that was with Isaac. They saw certainly the Lord is with Isaac. And we don't know. What did they see? I'll tell you. I don't know. (laughs) But whatever they saw, they knew certainly that the Lord was with Isaac. Because they saw certainly that the Lord was with Isaac. They wanted peace with him. Isaac, we can deal with being an enemy. The Lord, we can't deal with that. If the Lord's with Isaac, we've got to make peace with Isaac. So what happened here is described exactly in Proverbs 16, 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. He makes even this Abimelech and this advisor and chief of his captain be at peace with him. See, Isaac's ways please the Lord. And the Lord made Isaac's enemies to be at peace with him. So that leads to the question, what were Isaac's ways that pleased the Lord? Because we would like our enemies to be at peace with us. That would be nice. Of course, we want to hurt our enemies, but God says, no, it'd be better you have that peace with you. But anyway, that's verse 25. He built an altar there, and he called on the name of the Lord. Isaac worshipped the Lord. That pleased God. That pleased the Lord. And therefore, the Lord said, oh, I'm so happy with what Isaac's doing here. He's building an altar. He's calling on my name. I'll tell you what, I'll make his enemies to be at peace with him. That's what happened. And we're going to see Jacob, a little bit later, we're going to see Jacob's brother Esau, his arch enemy who had set for in the goal of his life, there's nothing I get accomplished in, in life, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. But when he goes to meet him, in Genesis 33, 4, it says, and Esau ran to meet him. What do you think Jacob was thinking? Oh, no. <laughs> but it says, he ran to meet him, he embraced him, he fell on his neck, he kissed him, and they wept. I'm sure Jacob was He had a lot of tears welled up in that one. He was ready to really let loose and cry it out. But he runs, he embraces, he gets on his neck, and he kisses, he besame mucho (laughs) on his neck. And what did Jacob do to have this happen? What did Jacob do to please the Lord so that the Lord made Esau to be at peace with Jacob? Well, what he did was in the previous chapter in Genesis 32, verse 26, Jacob said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I won't let you go except thou bless me. See, Jacob, he clung to Jehovah Jesus. Now, what can we do? That's fine for Jacob. That's fine for Isaac. What can we do? What we can do is be like Mary, Mary of Martha in Luke 10, 39, where it says, Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. That's what she did. And the Lord said about Mary in Luke 10, 42, one thing, one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part. And it will not be taken away from her. That's what he said. He said, she sits at my feet. She hears my word. That's the one thing that is needful, he says. She chose that. And it's not going to be taken away from her. Now, what we see in verses 28 through 31 is nothing short of just a remarkable forgiveness on Isaac's part. I mean, it's something when you sit down and eat with the person. 
you know, you pass the bread from one to the other and you don't worry that they poisoned it as they came across to you. <laughs> so this is an example here, what Isaac's done, of Romans twelve eighteen. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. I mean, Paul is saying, can you kind of like scratch as far as you can under the surface, you know, and see if you can find a little bit of milk of human kindness? You know, it kind of reminds me of finding these dinosaurs. You see a little bit of red in there, a little bit of soft tissue, you know, he says, you know, I know it's all hard and crusty and fossilized on the outside, but just, you know, you got a little bit, just capitalize on that. As much as possible, as much as lieth in you, if it be possible. And some people, Paul would say, it's not possible. There's nothing lying in there. But he says, just live peaceably with all men. Don't be a warrior. Take your war paint off. So Isaac had decided to live peaceably with these men. And he made peace with them. And he cooks them a big meal. And throughout the night, they get up and they exchange promises to be at peace with each other. And the last words of verse 31 are a real victory over the spirit of vengeance, over anger, over bitterness. When it says in verse 31, they rose up betimes in the morning and swear one to another, and Isaac sent them away in peace, and they departed from him in peace. We don't know that they ever saw each other again. We don't know, but that that was the last encounter between these men this side of eternity. And we hope that they came to be saved. But one thing that Isaac can say is that I made peace with them. I made peace with them. I did what I could. I made peace with them. I invited them to come to Jehovah Jesus. Their blood is not on my hands. But what would it have been like if he had sent them away in anger and vengeance and said, you know, you hate me, get out of here. How would he have felt? Oh, yeah, did you know that Abimelech died? I was their last witness? Oh, oh, if I could just go back. I wish I could have made peace with them. I wish I would have cooked them a big meal. This was a victory. They left in peace. Now, when they left in peace, God's also, you know, how did Bush say it? God's not neutral in these matters. <laughs> He's not sitting back and saying, I don't care. No, God's watching that. And when they left in peace, then God says, amen. <laughs> you know? And so in verse 32, it says, It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him concerning the well which they had digged, and they said, we found water. See, God caused Isaac's servants to find water. That was just like God saying to Isaac, Isaac, Those men that came to you, they're still lost souls. They need to be saved. And I'm happy you forgot about the wells that they destroyed. I'm happy you forgot about the wells that they stole. And I'm happy you made peace with them because their souls are more important than water. And oh, water, here's a gift. Here's a well for you. See, you made peace with them, Isaac. That made me happy. So those last four words there, are very important. In that verse there, we're in, he sent them away in peace, and we're in peace. And then the next verse, in verse 32, those last four words also are important. We have found water. The Hebrew word there for found is the word matzah. Don't confuse it with matzah. It's a different word. It's matzah. Now, Genesis, we find this word here. It's like in Genesis 26, 32, verse 32, we're on. It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came. They told them concerning the well which they had digged. And they said, we have found water. We have matzah watered. We have found water. The word matzah is a very important word for our chapter because the root meaning is very, very important. This is the third time that this word is used in this chapter. It appears in verse 12 where it says, Then Isaac sowed in the land and received matzah. In the same year, a hundredfold, the Lord blessed him. See, Isaac put out his seed, and Isaac matzad. He found these hundredfold, and the word then it says received, that they chose. 
And then the second time Matzah appears is in our chapters in verse 19. Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found Matzah, there a well of springing water. And then the third time is here in our verse, in verse 32. We have found Matzah, water. It's the root meaning of Matzah that's so important. It's so interesting. And you see this in Leviticus 9, where it appears three times in Leviticus 9. And this is a passage that's all about Aaron's sons killing the sacrifice, collecting the blood, and then bringing to Aaron the collected blood and the dead animal. And it says in Leviticus 9, 12 through 13, and he slew the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons presented matzah unto him the blood, which he sprinkled round about upon the altar, and they presented matzah the burnt offering unto him with the pieces thereof and the head, and he burned it upon the altar. And then in Leviticus 9, 18, a few verses down from that, verse 18, he slew also the bullock and the ram for a sacrifice of peace offerings, which was for the people. And Aaron's sons presented matzah unto him the blood, which he sprinkled round about the altar round about. So we've got the picture in our mind here. We can see it, these scenes. We can see here's Aaron's sons. They're killing the sacrifices. They're collecting the blood. They're doing their work over here with the sacrifices of the blood. And then we see they're coming to their father, and they're presenting. Here you go, Pop. No, he didn't call him Pop. Here you go, Father, <laughs> Dad, Abba. They say, okay, here you go, Dad. Here's the blood. And, you know, Father, I present to you the blood. Matzah. Father, I present to you the animal, matzah. Father, I present to you the blood and the animal, matzah. See, the meaning behind this word matzah is present or bring forth. That's the meaning behind the word matzah. God had the increase of the harvest right in his pocket. And so when Isaac sows in the land, God reaches his pocket and says, here you go, I present to you this hundredfold increase and I bring it forth to you. See, God has the water under the ground, and Isaac's servants dig for a well, and God says, Matzah, here you go. I present this water to you. As a matter of fact, this meaning of bringing forth is captured for this word Matzah and how it's translated in Leviticus 12, 8, when it says, And she be not able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring Matzah. Two turtles or two young pigeons, the one for a burnt offering, the other for a sin offering. The priest shall make an atonement for her, and she shall be clean. See, here we see a woman... And she can't afford the lamb, so what does she do? She matzah. She brings her offering. She's either got two turtles or two young pigeons. That's why the word matzah is used in the context of finding a wife. It says in Proverbs 18.22, Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. Whoso matzah, a wife, eh? matzah, a good thing, obtains favor of the Lord. See, the Hebrew word for obtain there is the word puk, which means dropping down in front of you, dropping out. The idea is that you're walking along and a beautiful piece of fruit just drops, it pukes, that doesn't sound good, in front of you. <laughs> and that's the word matzah. It's presenting, God is presenting, I'm bringing forth a wife, she's a good thing. So the beauty of this word matzah at the end of verse 32 here is that from man's perspective, he sees the water, he cries out, we found water. But reality comes from the word matzah, which means it's from heaven's perspective, I present to you water. See, the use of the word matzah at the end of verse 32 means man says, we have found water. God says, I present to you water. See, the more we embrace this concept of matzah, the more anxiety and stress about what's going to happen to me from the future, it goes away. Why? Because our God is a God of matzah. Our God loves to matzah. He loves to present. He loves to give. Our God loves to matzah, to present to us. He likes to bring forth to us. When Isaac's servants in verse 32, who came to Isaac and they cried, we found water, 
Andrew cries to Peter, we found him. In John 1.41, he first findeth his own brother Simon, saith unto him, we found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. See, like Isaac's servants in verse 32 who came to Isaac and cried, we found water. Philip cries to Nathanael, we found him. In John 1.45, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, we found him, of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. But Isaac's servants could only cry, we have found water because God was the one who Matsada presented the water to them. And Andrew and Peter could only cry, we have found him because God had Matsad or presented him to them. See, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a Matzah verse. That verse is built on Matzah. See, for God so loved the world that he gave, and the idea is Matzah there. He presented his only begotten son. So whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, the idea of matzah is behind when God spoke from heaven about his son in Matthew 3.17. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org that's friendshipwithgod.org or go to itunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800-247-3051 800-247-3051 Thanks for listening to Friendship with God Join the Creation Earth History Museum for our 10th Annual Museum Day Family Festival, Saturday, September 26th. Hi, this is Jason Payne, museum curator, and I want to personally invite you and your families to a free, fun-filled event including new exhibits, testimonies from leading scientific experts, meet NASA astronaut Colonel Jeffrey Williams, and many others. Activities for the entire family. So join us Saturday, September 26th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Go online to learn more at creationsd.org or call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104.